How are we doing, folks? My guest today is going to be Kaylee Gilchrist, a dual sport athlete as a professional surfer and an Olympic gold medalist and two-time world champion as a water polo player for Team USA. In this episode, we discuss Kaylee's journey into athletics and what drives her and keeps her going each and every day. We also discuss some of the setbacks that she's had along the way and her perseverance to overcome those as she has her eyes set on the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. I hope you enjoy Kaylee's journey of failures and successes so far. And also on Kaylee's behalf, we are donating $250 to the Young and the Brave Foundation, which helps young adults and children with all forms of cancer. I hope you enjoy and please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Thanks. Perfect. We're rolling. Kaylee, thank you so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Just got off of a good, uh, good training session from what I hear. Sounds like you're kind of back to the grind out there. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat and we are definitely getting in the thick of it, but it's good. It's time. So kind of getting back into the thick of it and back of that grind, I mean, how much um, hardships and difficulties, I know, you know, there's a lot with everything going on with COVID, but how much has that kind of changed your training and everything else? I mean, originally you were planning on prepping for Tokyo last summer, right? I mean, that was kind of the big gear up and everything else. Yeah. And then it throws everything in huge transition for you. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, we shut down probably March 20th or so. And that was probably, we were basically rounding third base coming home. And we were finally getting to the fun part where the teams announced we get to host games in front of friends and family and then, then eventually go to Tokyo. So when that shut down, it was just an insane feeling just for everybody. But everybody was going through different emotions and you just had to have uh, the openness to let people grieve in their own personal way. And then finally, so we just went separate ways, connected on Zoom during that time apart, um, and finally came together June 1st as a team was our first practice. And basically from June to even the fall, all the way through basically December, it was, it was light, you know, not much training, a lot of social distancing, a lot of testing, just kind of getting back together more so um, connection-wise rather than actual physical water polo um, conditioning mm -hmm. so summer was really mellow still a very weird period didn't know if the olympics was going to happen still i mean today there's definitely uncertainty still but there's a little bit more confidence since, than we once had um and then we ramped it up just a tiny bit in fall uh with more water polo some more contact days the way it was like non-contact contact depending on our testing and when we got mm -hmm. our results and then basically came back january 4th and we hit the ground running almost to our same schedule we had pre-COVID. We learned a lot with protocols, with testing. We have a lot of resources. We have amazing doctors and trainers that have put us in a very safe position to continue that training. Mm -hmm. um, basically, Monday through Saturday, half days or Wednesday, Saturdays, and then double days the rest of the day, four lifts each week. And yeah, so we're basically on week three, hoping to have Canada come next week and get some competition for the first time since February. That's got to be super exciting, especially, you know, knowing that training process, right? You grind, you grind, you grind, and you're ready to get an opponent or you're ready to get, you know, in the start gate or whatever that is. And so finally to have a little uh, someone to go up against will, will be nice. How, how many times have you had to test? Oh, my gosh. We test four times a week. So... Whatever that math is, basically since June, <laughs> testing 
some, depending on where we're at, two to four times a week. And I imagine it'll probably become even more the closer we get to the games. And especially when we're doing competition, we're, now we're going to bring outside variables into our little bubble that we've gained confidence in. And now when we have 20 plus athletes and staff, there's just going to be more testing and, and a lot of trust too and in each other um, and in our opponents, I'm sure leading the next six months to the games. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be super hard. I mean, it's such an amazing commitment that not only you have to make, but also your teammates. And it's a lot of trust in that, that everyone's going to be compliant. Everyone's going to, you know, stay in that bubble because, you know, you don't want to screw the rest of the team over by making one of those mistakes and kind of losing losing sight of the goal. I mean, you've had so much success in the sport, and I'm sure um, you're excited to kind of see finally the Olympic Games hopefully happen. And I think this year, I think with all the protocols and everything that's happened, I mean, we've done like U.S. Open with tennis. I mean, they've done a pretty good job uh, with bubbles and stuff like that, the NBA. And so I feel like Tokyo will uh, will definitely knock it out of the park. Yeah, I'm pretty confident that, that it's going to be a go. We just don't know what it's going to look like yet. I think we'll have some more answers come March, April, whether, you know, fans or, or a certain amount of fans or if it's just Japanese fans or, or if we're all going to have to bubble and maybe there won't be an opening and a closing ceremony. There's been a lot of things thrown out, but nothing's been confirmed yet. And so for us, we can't even worry about that. We're just worrying on ourselves and getting better. And, um, you know, if, if no fans can go, that's a bummer, but it's not like we're not used to that every day in practice with just our coaches and each other. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, that fact of being able to, to represent the U.S. and and you've gone through and, and had that experience a few times, you know, world championships, uh, what, 19 and you were in Korea, South Korea for that one. Uh, and then also in Russia yeah. in 15, you guys were gold. Obviously in Rio, you guys got the Olympic gold as well. So, I mean, a lot of success for the team. And all the while, I mean, you've been able to do it as, as a two-sport athlete, which um, is now uh, a lot more unique than uh, it used to be, especially – most parents uh, nowadays, it's like when the kids are like seven years old, they know what they're going to be. All right, you're going to be a football player. All right, you're going to play golf. Yeah. You're going to play tennis, and and that's it. So, what what was that like for you, like growing up and and wanting to surf and kind of wanting to play water polo? Like, what led you to to kind of go down the path of hey, I think I'm good enough and I enjoy both enough to kind of continue those sports. Yeah. I mean, in all reality, there wasn't much pressure from outside. Um, I was the biggest tomboy growing up. We just had this little gang of girls skateboarding, biking, playing any sport. So when my friend signs up for flag football, then that's what I'm going to do. That's what all of us did. So we were playing football, basketball, surfing, water polo, swimming, junior lifeguards, and we just were having fun. I was so competitive at a young age that I just wanted to be better than the guys. So I think that competitiveness just set me up. And I actually played basketball, water polo, and surfing all the way till eighth grade. And I knew that's when I had to make the decision, drop three down to two. And I just started enjoying and was a little bit more passionate about surfing and water polo. And, and really, the reason I continued both sports is just because I loved them so much for, for different reasons. Obviously, one's individual and has all these outside factors and uh, is in the ocean. And then one's a team sport. And there's nothing quite like a team and having all these different individuals come together to reach a common goal. So I, I was just a little stubborn girl, not willing to give up either sport and have just continued to balance them. Um, I think I have a better understanding the older I get of when I need to prioritize certain sports and sure. certain trainings, um, mm -hmm. but still uh, mm -hmm. able to sneak in serves here and there. 
how much do you think it it helped being able to have that kind of release valve where maybe you know things aren't clicking in in the pool when you're you know training for water polo or it's surfing like you know you're kind of getting beat up one day is it nice to kind of have that release and like okay i'm going to take a little mental break and i'm going to go do the other thing that i love oh yeah i think that's been you know my biggest mental escape in in this training regimen like especially with water polo and the demand on the time and, and, you know, you go surfing, no matter what, even if you're training, it's still the best because surfing <laughs> is so much fun. Like water polo can be the most fun thing ever, but also most of the time it sucks. Like when you're training and you're grinding six days, six hours a day, uh, it's not always fun. So I think that's when, whether I'm not playing well or I'm having a tough day or just anything, I go jump in the ocean, I catch three or so waves and I'm already in a better mood. Um, so definitely right now in this year, in the last few years, surfing has been my mental escape and I've tried to take away the competitiveness from surfing right now. Um, you know, not going to the beach with a coach, not doing video analysis or mock heats and just really just jumping out and enjoying, um, the mere act of surfing. Of course, there's this little bit competitive mindset I have that I want to get better or land this new trick, but it's not the same as when I'm just focusing on surfing than when, you know, water pool is the priority. I feel like that's a hard thing to, to balance because the whole idea of surfing is just being out there with friends, like enjoy, you know, kind of enjoying that moment and, you know, um, really just, just taking everything in and then to kind of add in that competitive, competitive nature. I mean, how, how hard is that to kind of balance? Cause at one point you're like, man, this is just awesome to kind of be out here in the ocean. Uh, I know for me, like the first time I ever went, it was when I was in Australia, we were actually, uh, skiing down there in the summer and, we had a day off. So we went to go surfing and we went for like a couple hours and I got my ass. I like, I stood up once for like three seconds and it was like the most brutal workout, but it was still <laughs> like so much fun to just be like looking around like, man, this is, yeah. this is pretty rad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's tough, but like, I think the last year it's been easier actually to find, to turn off the, the competitiveness. Um, now that some competitions are starting and, and I'm watching some of her webcasts and watching the girls surf and, you can, I can feel that fire brewing. Um, but I just know it's not my time to compete in surfing right now. You know, I have seven, seven months left of playing water polo after 20 years that that's my focus and to just enjoy all of it that I can. And, and surfing again is the mental escape. I'm still looking at surf line, uh, wave forecast and know when it's good and texting all my friends and going out there. And if someone's trying to paddle battle me, I'll still try to compete with them and make sure I'm on the wave. But it's a lot different when you're um, traveling the world on the world qualifying series and, and trying to make heats. And when you're going against, um, you know, three other competitors going against judges and all the outside factors of winds tied, uh, sun glare and all this stuff. It's, it's a different type of surfing. And um, I'm looking forward to get there, but I'm also enjoying that that's not the phase I'm at yet right now. Right. Still eyes on the prize with uh, with Tokyo and everything coming up there. Now, I mean, how much have yeah. you kind of gotten to travel with that? Because, you know, in, in my competitive career, I felt like I got to go see so many cool, unique places. And, you know, when I was kind of prepping for our chat, I was looking at all the like, man, world championships, Korea here, then you're in Russia there, you know, Rio. It's like, man, I feel like I got to go to cool places, but like, how, how, what is that experience uh, <laughs> like to be able to travel to all those kind of fun, fun, cool, interesting places? Yeah, I think for both surfing and water polo, I've been fortunate to travel the world. And I think 
especially at a young age uh, with surfing, I was traveling a lot, you know, when I was 14 or so and on. And I think the, the biggest thing I gained from that is just perspective. Um, you know, I grew up in Orange County, California, where, you know, life isn't as real as some people may think or may know. And I think that gave me the perspective I needed to keep me humble and um, to just really appreciate the opportunities I have and to be able to compete in two sports I love. So, and it's, it's a trip to go to different countries and, you know, seeing their upbringings and seeing the lifestyle that those people live. And you just learn a lot about culture and, and it is cool. And it's a part that we probably don't talk about enough in sport, but it's something that uh, I really appreciate and try to take in every, every trip I go to. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's great to be able to go over there too and, and really gain that perspective. And also you get to go through and, and do it with the team, right? Like when we're skiing, we're on a team, but it's also an individual yeah. sport. And, but you still, you, you build these bonds because you're able to go to such cool, unique places. And those are some of the best memories. It's not the competition. It's not the stuff on the hill. It's, it's, you know, trying to figure out how to read German or Japanese or whatever language where you are. And you're like, yeah. okay, you know, and you're trying to struggle to, to bring all your bags in a tiny little elevator that barely fits one person. Yeah. <laughs> totally and i'm usually the planner of the group so I, I get the research in and figure out the the coolest coffee shop to go to or what on our afternoon off we're sightseeing or where we're going to eat so i i really enjoy that part of the travel too and like you said um you know obviously go and play sport to win and do well but you don't realize that those little moments are, are what matter most yeah ab absolutely it's definitely so the, so it's coffee key for water polo is that is that one of the the main things you got to have a little cafe yeah. to keep you going yeah, coffee's big. We usually do a pregame coffee uh, before we got to go to to play. So we'll all hang out, listen to music, and try to loosen up and get fired up with some coffee. Uh -huh, perfect. That's good. Now, I mean, I can't imagine the amount because, I mean, I just sink like a brick. There's no way you could get me in a pool. And, I, I mean, I'd love to try <laughs> some water polo. I haven't ventured off and into it. But I'm curious. Like, I know you said six-hour days of training. I mean, how – is that constantly having to be in the water? I mean, what is that, that comfort level for you um, to, to kind of get there? Yeah. I mean, so a normal day um, is waits for about an hour and a half to two hours in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then about another hour and a half conditioning, usually in the morning, whether that's swimming or stations, passing drills. Um, and then we have about a three hour break where we, that's where we get our nutrients or lunch. And then a lot of us will get treatment from our trainer. So a lot of manual work, cupping, um, relaxing, and then we're back in the pool around 132 for another two and a half to three hour session. And that's more water polo based. Okay. So we're really in the pool at least four hours a day. And yeah, you just, you know, egg beater swim nonstop doing drills and it's just part of, part of the game. Part, part of the process of kind of, kind of building that in now. One thing, I mean, I've been able to yeah. tell just in our chat so far is just that, that competitiveness and that, and that kind of hard work that you have and, and the kind of dedication. So where would you say those have kind of come from? Have you, you know, I know you said chasing the boys, Tom, tomboy, all that stuff. I mean, where do you think that that kind of um, started for you? Is it mom, dad, kind of like, hey, you can, you can follow them, you can go. I mean, what are some of those uh, influences? Yeah, I think, I mean, if you look at my family, my dad and uncle were two-time Olympians. So you would think that's where I got that drive and competitiveness. And I am a lot like my, my father. So that's probably where it came. But there was never pressure um, from him to do sports or to become an Olympian. 
Um, he just would kind of guide me through his experiences uh, and just would shoot a reminder here and there. And I think when I was younger, I took it for granted. I was like, I don't want to listen to you. I don't care what you say. You know, you're my parent. That's like the last thing you want to do is listen to your parents when you're young. But I think the older I got and the more I started to follow in his footsteps that I appreciated those uh, words of encouragement or sometimes they'd frustrate me because he knows how to push my buttons. So um, yeah, he was a big influence, I would say more so in my later years. And besides that, I don't, I don't really know where the competitiveness came from. My sister's the exact opposite of me, not competitive, not athletic, just all about fashion and whatnot. <laughs> um, so that's actually been a really, a really fun bond because there's no co competition within our, right. our relationship, which is really fun. So we're really close. And, um, I think it's just kind of the environment I grew up in, um, and kind of, you are expected to compete and play well and go to college. So one way to get to college was play good water polo. And I was fortunate to do that and to follow my dad's footsteps at the university of Southern California. And that brought my game to another level, which got eyes on me from the national team and eventually got me onto the national team. So what is that kind of, uh, like to go through those experiences at USC and kind of catch the eye and, and the hard work and, and that kind of dedication that goes through for, for people out there that are kind of going maybe similar, similar situation with water polo or, or sport like that. And maybe they're struggling a little bit. I mean, what, what, what kind of words of wisdom or advice would you have for uh, those folks out there? Yeah. I mean, I think first off, it's okay to struggle. My freshman year, I, I was torn. I was ready to quit. Even told my parents I'm over it. I don't want to do this. I want to surf. I'm watching my friends on the world tour doing well, traveling around the world. I was like, what am I doing in my dorm room in South central? Like get me out of here. Um, but they just like, they just said, play a season, play a season and we'll talk. And then I think during that season, I, I realized how passionate I still was about that sport. And then that was the you know, the best thing my parents could do is kind of almost force me to play that season. And um, I think I've refound the love and thank gosh I didn't quit because I ended up on the national team and on the Olympic podium and hopefully get to do it again. So I think just know that struggles will come in your journey and that's okay, but it's just being able to fight your way through that, whether that's um, through support from family or friends or just through yourself and, and realizing the love that you do have. So I think it all starts with making sure you're playing the sport because you love it, not to get to college or not to get to a certain goal you have in mind. You're playing it because you love it and you enjoy um, the actual sport and, and the people that come with the sport. Yeah. I, one of those things, I mean, talking about struggles, it's one of those things that um, people really don't like to touch on too much, but I feel like those failures and those struggles are some of the things that kind of create the, the biggest successes that they have in their careers, you know? I know I always dwelled on okay. whenever it would do whatever the worst result was or whatever that would be like, God, I got to, you know, that's always, and especially with most of the guests I've had on, that's one thing that they're really kind of dwell on some of those past things and, and how to come back from those failures. What, what were some of those for you and, and what were they um, uh, that helped kind of drive you to overcome and, and reach that high achievement? Yeah, I, I don't really know why or when this happened, but, from those failures, a lot of them are games or, or uh, heats that I've lost, but I have this like intense rage after. And no one with my personality, no one really knows unless those people are close to me. And I'll shake hands, smile, even crack jokes after, I, after we lose. And then when I'm by myself, it's like the rage comes out and I have to work out and get it out. 
So, I mean, couple losses, CIF final my senior year. So it's like high school championships. We were up by five goals, lost by one. Um, that's something I still won't forget. Couple bad losses in college, lost in the national championship game my sophomore year, senior lost in the semifinals. And you just remember those things. And I'm just get to the, get to the hotel or get to wherever we are. And I just have to run it out. And um, I think more so instead of to get better, I know a 30 minute run in the grand scheme of things may not get me to win that game, but it just lets me really think through the mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of a way that I like am able to process the loss, understand what I did wrong, but also not, and also know what I need to do better and learn. It's not like I'm hard on myself where like you need to beat yourself up because you lost and you stink and you suck. There's, it's mm -hmm. not necessarily that feeling, which I know a lot of athletes have, and that's something that's tough to get over as well. It's more of like, okay, I need to get in the zone and, and, really devour this loss so I can learn from it and become better. Yeah. No, I think going for, going for a run is definitely a, a good way. And it, you know, it allows you to get a little exercise, get a little, little inner rage out. You don't have to take it out on anybody else too. Right. That's yeah. always a plus. You're not screaming at exactly. anybody or, or anything. I just need to go and run. Just leave me alone. Let me, let just me do my run. thing. Yeah. In an hour, I'll be back. <laughs> so now going back a little bit to those successes, I mean, what was that uh, Olympic experience like for you in, in Rio going down? Obviously you had uh, plan, the plan was to win, but I mean, let, let's touch a little bit on that experience for you and the team. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing, but in all reality, there was some, some dark times in Rio. Um, our fearless leader, Adam Krikorian, who's uh, one of the most amazing water polo coaches ever. And we're so fortunate that we have him, but, uh, we were down in Rio. I think it was four days before the opening ceremony. He finds out his brother passes away. So, and, and his brother supported us. We become, you know, we become family. So to see him hurt like that and tell us it, it hurt all of us. And so he um, flew home and he wasn't there for opening ceremonies. Luckily he was able to make it back for our first game. Uh, but he was strong enough to have some of his worst days of his life still allow us to be some of our best. And you couldn't even tell that he was hurting, hurting. He still guided us. And um, so you always, when we go back to Rio, you know, there's the amazing times on top of the podium where, you know, everything is a dream come true. It's almost an indescribable feeling. And then also you remember the dark, sad times too. So it's, it's a very interesting balance, but all in all, Rio was a dream come true. Um, had to pinch myself a couple times and, and realized that was I was at an Olympic Games. I was fortunate to have a pretty solid crew of family and friends down there uh, supporting me. And um, on top of the podium with your teammates who become family, watching your flag raise up is, is one of the most proud moments of my life and something I'll never forget. And then hugging my family afterwards. Because, you know, in all reality, those were the three people, mom, sister, dad, that have been through everything with me. Um, and that, that was really cool. They, they remember me as the little... 10-year-old tomboy who started playing water polo and dreamt of going in the Olympic Games and then full circle here we are. Yeah, I mean that's just got to be such a such an unbelievable moment to kind of be down there and and be able to share that with them because you know they're the ones right that drive you to the practices and take you through see you at the dark days, see you at the heights and the peaks and all that. So so yeah. You know, in uh, especially you, and more like skiing or something like that, it's more of an individual sport, but it's never an individual sport because you do have that team around you um, to really kind of help 
build you up and uh, keep you strong when times are dark and, and things of that nature. I mean, how did you feel? Um, what, Cause that was your first um, Olympic experience. And what did you think of just the opening ceremonies and kind of, you know, cause you've heard the story, the Olympic village, you know, they have a McDonald's that's or a food court. That's like eight football fields and you got all the different Olympic. I mean, what was uh, uh, that kind of experience uh, like for you? Yeah, I mean, that was crazy. I think you try to do, or at least our team tried to do the best we could to visualize that so we didn't get too distracted by those things when we're down there. So we went to, back in November of 15, we went to Rio and had a little tournament with a bunch of other nations, but that's when the sightseeing happened. We did all the Brazilian Rio sightseeing you could do. And because we knew when we came back, it was game time. But at the same time, when you're in the Olympics, it's two weeks. You may only ever have this opportunity once in your life. You have to find the balance, and every individual is different. Even every individual on our team was different. But, you know, for water polo, we played every other day. So for me, the way I did it was like lock in on game day, do what you needed to do, but also enjoy your off days, whether that's walking around the village, talking to other athletes in the other nations, or being able to see your family um and just being able to find the balance of really being present during your time in the village during opening ceremonies and just realize how cool this opportunity is that a little kid's dream a little girl's dreams coming true but also know that you're there not just to be an olympian you're there to be a gold medalist and um i think our team did a really good job about that and we did a lot of sports psych before talking about it um just to get as mentally prepared as possible there will always be an element that you can't do you know you can't always prep an Olympic games because there really only is one every four years. But I think we did a good job trying to get as close as we could. So we were ready for the moment. And when was your event during the, um, during the Olympics? Cause people always say, you know, it's a, it's a whole two week thing. So you, you, I feel like it would be better if you had it at the beginning. So then you have the whole rest of the time to just embrace and party and kind of relax after yeah. all the hard work and preparation. But when, when was your event? Well, this is pretty crazy with water polo. So water polo, there's six games. Uh, you play three group play games, get seated mm -hmm. for quarter semis finals. So we played every other day. So that's 12 days. The Olympics is only, what, 14 days. Mm -hmm. So we basically played the entire two weeks, wow. which, is, which is mentally exhausting. It's obviously physically exhausting, but it's mentally exhausting too. Um, and for Tokyo, now that we... There's only eight teams in Rio. Tokyo, there's 10 women's teams. So now okay. there's going to be seven games. So we will literally play in Tokyo. We're going to play the day after opening ceremonies to the last day of the tournament. Wow, that's crazy. So you really... So that's something that in. you also have to, you have to prep for. Um, yeah, both physically and mentally, which is... It's exhausting, but it's also pretty exciting to play those many games too. It's not like... I know some athletes might run for 40 seconds and they're done. Yeah. They get, there's no do-overs, you know? Like, at least we get to play seven games and, and try to get better every single game. Now, how much did the going through and kind of uh, that preparation that you touched on and, and kind of talking through a, a sports psych, I mean, how much did, did that uh, help? I mean, had you ever really um, discussed with a sports psych before, kind of focus, preparation, and stuff like that? And, and do you feel like that that kind of uh, made the mental edge for you and your team? Um, I think we, we did some sports psych, we did some sports psych stuff at, at my college at USC and I, I love geeked out on all the sports psych books and stuff and talked to a few people 
people, but I think we really embraced it as a team. We have a uh, sports psych, Peter Haberl, who's awesome. Um, and he helped us in, in so many ways. Uh, a lot of times you, you kind of dread the meetings or you don't really want to do it, but hindsight, I think it really helped our, um, kind of got us ready and set to go and to win and we continue to work with that sport psych and I it's up to us individually if you want to work with him one-on-one -on -one. and I go back and forth I work with him sometimes I don't sometimes but just having that resource there gives you the confidence and knowing that we're probably doing things that a lot of teams in the rest of the world aren't doing um, in some of the activities we do with the sport psych last October of 2019 we did a seven-day silent retreat in Colorado like that's unheard of Seven days silent. So what was that like? No talking for seven days? It was wild. I think this silence was actually, yeah, six days. And ah. we would meditate in the morning. We could talk sometimes, have breakout, meditate. It was four times of meditation, a lot of walking meditation, a lot of patient, and just really learning how to work with your mind. It was it was crazy. It was a little anxiety ridden, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's something that I, I can confidently say no other women's water polo team is doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't know that I could do that. That's a long time. And I love to talk. So yeah, I think I'd be screwed seven days. Oh my God. And so what did that experience like help you kind of come through at, on the other side of that? Like what was the, the takeaways from, from not talking for six days? Did it get you more in touch with your uh, inner self or? or... Yeah, I, I think so. I think um, all in all, it was a successful trip. Um, There's definitely some breakout moments, um, definitely a, a deeper bond built. And basically it was taught to be more aware of, mm -hmm. of not only yourself and your own emotions and feelings, but also others and learning how to work with that. And uh, staying present basically is huge in mindfulness. It's kind of what mindfulness is all about. And, uh, presence going to help us in, in games and in tough moments and, and to, you know, those, those emotions and those thoughts, but learning to get back to what you're doing in the now. Mm -hmm. How much do you think that that's kind of helped with everything that's gone on in the last year and the transition and stuff that you've kind of had to go through? I mean, we touched on a little bit earlier, but you're prepping for an Olympic games and then that's kind of taken away and all that training and hard work. It's like, okay, now we got to pivot and hopefully it's next summer. But I mean, you know, there's so many different athletes that yeah. had to retire that are not going to make the next games. This was like their last kind of chance of their last shot. And now, I mean, it's got to be a, an interesting mental battle. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And I think uh, one thing that I learned and I think that one thing the team did a good job and our coach did a good job is allowing everyone to feel what they needed to feel. Um, he took, you know, everyone was going through different things. Some people were mourning a loss. Some people didn't know how to react. Some people were devastated. Some were like, well, whatever, it's one more year. Let's just do it. So just allowing everybody to feel their own individual emotions was huge. And we knew at some point you'd have to snap out of it. Um, but easing back into the schedule. So God, it was cut down March 20th. I think we came back June 1st, but we were just doing one practice a day, swimming an hour a day, just to slowly get back into it. Um, and I think it allowed us, a lot of us are obviously water polo players, but there's a lot more to every single one of us on the team. And I think that time allowed people to understand that, that mm -hmm. we are not, you know, 
just water polo players. It gave people time to focus on school or extracurriculars or passions that they never normally had time to do because their training is so intense. So it was really cool to see teammates branch off and see what their passions are and, and see them dive deeper down. And just knowing that regardless what happens, who makes the team, if the Olympics doesn't happen, if somehow, you know, water polo is just cut from, from life, that knowing that all of our, our teammates are going to be just fine and they're going to do great things outside of sport. Every, everyone's going to be all right in the end. Yeah, no, I mean, it's super, super crazy to think that everything, uh, but I think they're, they're leaving it as Tokyo 2020, right? They're not changing it to 2021. That's a lot of money. They got to, they don't want to brand those new t-shirts out of Yeah, right? I imagine, I imagine just the branding and the money that it's going to stay Tokyo 2020 from what I heard. So <laughs> we'll forever remember Tokyo 2020. 2020 is the way it's going to be. So, um, one of the things I kind of wanted to ask was, uh, for you, I mean, I know you have such a, uh, intense training schedule and the rest of your team, uh, does right now and gearing up and all that stuff, but what kind of habits or, or what do you do to kind of help you keep track when you're not training and you're not, you know, you, but cause you have such a busy plate, are you a note taker? Do you got post-its? What, uh, cause I've had so many different, um, people with so many different uh, answers on that. Some people use apps, some people have to write everything down. So it's just kind of curious for you, what kind of um, helps you tackle the the day-to-day? -day? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big journaler. I think last year journaling was actually pretty hard for me just through all what everything going on. So this year I got just uh, five minutes of gratitude. It literally takes like five minutes to, to write a day in the morning. It's what your gratitude is. Like, what would you like to overcome today? Um, and then in the evening you said, what were you grateful for today? And what could you have done to make the day better? So that's just an easier way. Cause I still do love my journaling, but for whatever reason, my mindset switched after just the crazy few years that I've had that it's almost become a daunting task, which I would hate because it used to be an outlet. So I think this is a way that I'm going to ease back into my journaling. Um, but just having that is huge. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Okay. I just really like to journal. And um, it's kind of a bummer that it's been taken away from me. And I don't really know why. And probably need to dive into it at some point. But I really like that little five-minute gratitude book. Okay. So just kind of writing a little bit in the morning and, and afternoon. And I guess, I mean, how much does that help to be able to kind of look back? And especially if you've had the journal and you have those things logged, you're like, all right, this is kind of what was going through my mind. And I mean, were you journaling in Rio and last world championships yeah. and surfing and all that? So, so you've kind of been a big, how long have you kind of journaled for or done that routine? Is that probably high school okay. and religious? Yeah. Like high school and then religiously from probably like college on. Mm -hmm. So I, it's, it's cool. I, I like to have it. Um, but there's, I don't like necessarily going back and looking too deep into it yet. Right. <laughs> I think there'll be a point where I'll enjoy it and love to look back and remember certain things, but um, it's kind of a bummer, but like we're on this journey now that I don't want to compare it to last journey. There's already enough comparison um, from last journey or compared mm -hmm. comparing or whatever. So almost I want to like put that on pause. And then once water polo sports over, then get to look back and really enjoy um, and appreciate both mm -hmm. journeys for separate reasons. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really great uh, kind of perspective as you talked, talked about a little bit earlier that you've kind of had to like, Hey, let me be in the moment now. Let me kind of stay focused at the, at the task at hand. And 
is that does that get easier or is that harder because i mean you've been doing it for for a while so is it harder now to stay focused or is it uh easier for you to kind of just put the uh, blinders on and this is what the task this is what i need to do yeah i i think it's easier um i mean on top of journaling goal goal setting has been huge for me mm-hmm. and even if you look back a few years ago to goals to what they are now I was so statistically orientated and I still think stats are huge or are so number number driven. Like I need to play this amount of minutes. I need to make this team and need to shoot this 50% or higher in shooting percentage. And yeah, those stuff matter and they still matter to me because I'm a competitive person, but I I've under, now that I've gone through this once or twice and I've had other hardships that I've had to overcome this quad, like last quad almost was a cakewalk compared to what I've had to go through this quad. Mm-hmm. So I think that those stats become less important it's more about making the teams and enjoying it. Not needless to say, if I make the Olympic team, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna play the best water polo I can possibly play, and I will still probably be upset if my numbers aren't where I want them to be because that's who I am as a human. Mm-hmm. But if I can still play within my role and be um, a big contributor to the team in the end, and we get the gold medal and do what we want to do, then that's all that really matters to me. Instead of uh, titles and records and all those types of things. Mm-hmm. So this, uh, Tokyo is, is that your planned last event or will you continue kind of through when, when does that season go? Does it go, is it like 365 or is it kind of just summertime is when they do the, the season? So, yeah, I guess the way to break down is a quad. Obviously this one's unique cause it's five years, but normally, um, a quad is four years. Um, the first year world championships, is the biggest tournament, which is the second biggest tournament to the Olympic Games. But because it's a year after the Olympics, everyone's kind of taking time off here and there. The team's not set. Mm -hmm. Then, so we always come together during summer season because off season, basically September through May, you're either playing in your college teams or you're abroad playing on a professional team if you're graduated from college. So the only full 365 uh, year, day a year we have is Olympic year, we call it. So basically 2019 fall until the Olympic games. Okay. So that's what makes this postponement difficult because we're basically going on two straight full years of training. And it's really, it's pretty hard to sustain that training and the mental capacity for two years of what we're doing right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's just gotta be the burn. What, what do you do to kind of help avoid that burnout? Because I mean, I know for, for a lot of people, I mean, th- that comes, especially when, you know, they push the finish line away for you like a whole year, like, all right, yeah. that finish line's going to be next year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's wild. I think, like I said earlier, our coach did a good job giving us space that we needed. Yeah. Fall was still a weird, a little bit of a weird period for us. We were all kind of doing our ind- own individual things. But I think finally now that we're here in January and there is kind of an end in sight, it gets us fired up and excited and we're training hard again. We're not like in this middle ground. So I think um, we really needed to start this or else I think he was going to just lose more and more people's motivation um, Mm because it's it's hard to stay motivated and stay in that mindset. So we had to kind of turn almost our water polo brains off for a bit. And I think in the few weeks that we've trained in 2021, it's exciting to get back to the old routine. And I think there's this, this fire that was lacking the last mm-hmm. six or so months. So how will the the breakdown be like in the lead up? Are you guys doing like five, you know, you said, I think Monday, Monday through Saturday, you'll go, you'll get a day off. And then is that sustainable or is it, you do this for about a three week block and then it's like, okay, we're going to take off a couple weeks. And then yeah, it's like, I, would, I wish that was in like camps or no. 
<laughs> no, every 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 nation's different. Um, mm-hmm. Australia, the way you explain it, that's how Australia usually trains. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, Monday through Saturday, all the way till Olympic Games. Okay. Uh, though obviously will be less travel. Usually we get to travel and compete against other teams. Just mm-hmm. with the craziness going on, there's not going to be too many tournaments or too much travel. Um, which is, is also going to be weird to not see a lot of competition before, but we're trying to get a couple countries over here. Canada's supposed to come next week. Russia's supposed to come in a few we- weeks. Um, still all TBD. We joke uh, that, that our coach always says TBD for to be determined. And he's like, yep, you're 2021 is the year of TBD. So just TBD. get used to it. <laughs> yeah. And we're all type A. We're like, wait, I need to have my life planned. Like you need to tell us what, and he's like, I literally don't know what's going to happen. Canada could be coming tomorrow. Uh, well i guess it keeps you uh keeps you on your toes that's that's for sure yeah most definitely now uh one other thing i want to talk about because i know you were the uh co-founder for uh camps uh camps for champs and kind of empowering uh young women through um passion and and through the sport of uh water polo so how did that whole kind of uh foundation come about and in that opportunity yeah i mean that's uh my teammate cammy craig and i's little pride and joy well, she is a three-time Olympian, silver medalist, two two gold medals, mm-hmm. um, 08, 12, and 16. And she retired after 2016. And I thought I was going to retire. I thought I was going to pursue surfing after 2016 as well. And I, I gave it a year, realized I missed water polo, asked if I could come back and, and you know, had the goal in 2020. Um, but Cammy and I had a great connection in, in the pool. You know, I always love to give her the ball. She's in the center, you know, usually pass pass the ball to the center and yeah um and we had so much fun in the pool and we also built our friendship out of the pool too and we we're trying to figure out how we could continue this this team teamwork that we have um and continue to do something with the sport that we love so we just started meeting and chit-chatting we're trying to think you know of course there's water polo clinics and um camps out there and we're like what can we do to bring something unique and we just do a lot of classroom work um, to empower women and give them the confidence that has nothing to do with water polo. We just put them in kind of vulnerable situations, to be honest, that a lot of high school girls um, or even younger aren't used to. And it can be uncomfortable and it can be awkward, but to see the growth in just a weekend is like one of the most satisfying things. And Cammy and I just get such a high off of it and continue to talk to some of our um some of our campies they'll reach out and ask questions and just to see their growth is super cool obviously we're in the pool doing drills and skills and doing all that as well but we have this combination of pool skill work and then classroom confidence building teamwork that we do so fortunately we haven't had a cancer champ since last november mm-hmm. um but we're hoping once everything you know calms down we'll get back into that and yeah, it's just a way for Cammy and I to continue to give back to the sport that's given so much to us. And and how I mean, like, how much fun does that have to be? Because I mean, I know I enjoy coaching. It's one of my favorite things to do is to to see those athletes start to improve and to see those light bulbs go off and and kind of give back to that sport, right? I mean, what what is that uh, like to see those smiles? I mean, it's got to be pretty fun um, when you do those camps and and you see those opportunity and, and the growth because they have the role models front and center of like, okay, if I continue to work at this, this is where I can end up going. Yeah, I mean that that's what it that's what it's all all about, really. Um, 
it's so cool just to see just to see them smile and it reminds me of why you play like I don't know maybe maybe there's Olympic gold medalists out there there probably are some of our campies may dream and try to do that but at the same time they're just 12 and 13 and 14 year olds who love the sport just like Cammy yeah. and I once were 10 20 years ago mm-hmm. so I think it just reminds it's a good reminder for us just why we started playing mm-hmm. kind of takes it back to that that nice uh base level so what what are a couple things that kind of really um helped you in this last stretch to take to stay focused on the final hurdle you know you got seven months to go it's extremely hard grind because i mean that's a lot of big blocks i know skiing wise i mean we usually three four days on at most and then a day off and usually those camps will run for two or three weeks and then we'll get a you know couple week break so i mean to be like six days on for seven six seven months i mean that's a crazy uh pace so what kind of helps you stay focused i think um this quad there's been a lot going on uh two of my big mentors passed away i got severely injured in a balcony collapse at south korea um the postponement and knowing that it's the last hurrah and my my dad competed in tokyo in 1964 so come full circle and to be able to compete in the same city is you know those are the motivations that's pushing me and then on top of my teammates so I know I have seven months to do what what I love and I'm pretty honest with myself that this is the last go around um skill wise age wise it just makes sense there's probably going to be no more water polo for me so I want to make sure I can put everything into it to know that come whatever happens in Tokyo I can look back and hopefully be on the team hopefully be on the podium with a gold medal but if not I can make sure I look back and did everything um I could do to be, to be the best. And so there's, there's tons of motivation for me and I'm actually really looking forward to the six months. And I like to think that I bring a lot of the good energy on the team and and not too much about complaining and stuff and can crack jokes when, when times are dark and, you know, there's rain clouds over us and everyone's exhausted and we're getting yelled at and just uh, kind of be a little uh, spark of light when needed. The spark, the spark the team needs. That's always, it's always a good thing. Uh, absolutely. Now, what happened in so what what was the balcony collapse? Because I, you know, you hurt your uh, it was your leg, right? Yeah. So it was a freak accident. We played Spain, beat them in the finals of the World Championships in July of 2019 in South Korea. So our water polo community is really tight. You know, we go to these competitions. We play the same people a lot of us have played in college with some of these people, some of our rivals or have played on professional teams. So we're celebrating. It's one of the most fun nights we're, we won. We're flying home the next day. We're going to have a couple weeks off. Mm-hmm. And we were all on top of a balcony uh, out at a bar and it collapsed. And I kind of got pinned down. I was on top of it, kind of got pinned down and hurt my leg and was just bleeding really bad. Um, had to get sent to the hospital and had to go undergo surgery in a foreign country and didn't really know what happened. Like just knew how bad the leg was. I didn't really like to look down, woke up the next day from surgery and heard I was millimeters away from my nerve. So that's essentially like millimeters away from a functioning left foot. And I was like, wow, okay. When can I start playing water polo again? Like I didn't even let my brain process the injury yet. Like that's just how us athletes work. Um, 
more and more came out from the from the incident. Unfortunately, two South Koreans passed away. I think I realized how big the situation was and how fortunate I was. And then we went to full rehab mode and to come back and try to make the 2020 games. And um, Kobe, I met Kobe Bryant a handful of times and he's, he's always been my idol growing up in SoCal and whatnot. And he reached out to me and he slowly but surely became a mentor. And our trainer, Larnie knew that and she named my comeback, the Mamba mission. So when Kobe awesome. passed away last January, it affected me like, yeah, but when he passed away, it, it affected me greatly, obviously. And what happened was a lot of emotions from the traumatic incident came up that I realized I was pushing down um, mm -hmm. when he when he passed away. And that's when I finally realized that I was just so focused on the physical getting back that I didn't even tend to the, the mental. And I actually went through a couple of panic attacks, something that I've never dealt with in my life um, of February. So that's when I finally needed, I knew I needed help just to basically dive into the incident and dive into what Kobe meant and what my coach Barnett, who passed away a year prior, like all this stuff just kind of came together. Mm -hmm. um, and I really wasn't in the best position to make the team, which was probably going to be announced May of 2020. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as terrible as the postponement is and as terrible as COVID is and how it's affected so many lives, like, all that said, it's been almost a blessing in disguise because I was able to give myself the time I needed to uh, kind of physically still recover. I was pretty much 100%, but more mentally. And I was with therapists twice a week and I dove into things and had the time to do stuff that I normally wouldn't have had if we were in that full-time training mode. Yeah, I mean, that's so crazy. It was a big yeah, I mean, it was that's crazy. crazy. I mean, the mental, yeah. the mental uh, fortitude and, and stuff like that to, to over. I mean, there's a lot of um, mental experiences to kind of be stacked on top of one another. And I mean, I couldn't imagine going through, you know, you're partying yeah. out on a balcony yeah. and then next thing you know, it just collapses. I mean, that's got to be an insane experience. <laughs> yeah. And then to move. Yeah, it was, it was wild. And I mean, a lot of there mm -hmm. yeah so kind of what those experiences going through two times a week kind of uh, what was the growth that kind of came from that and finally dealing with those um kind of mental things that you kind of pushed to aside you know losing a few mentors i mean you know obviously kobe's a legend but also your coach barnett i mean all those kind of passings and then dealing with okay you're millimeters away from not having any mobility in your feet foot which is pretty yeah. important. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wild. I think the biggest thing is that it allowed me to dive into the trauma and this type of therapy. I was doing different types of therapy, but one is called EDMR and it's basically like okay. eye movement and you relive the trauma, but it teaches your brain to not view it as trauma, just to view it more as a memory, hmm. which is kind of a trip. And then they do all this research and think it'll help you because my, my body for so long was in like a flight or fight mode because I was just okay. always so tense and the panic slowly started happening. Like if I got on an elevator, I could feel it. And I was just in this like stressed out mode without even knowing it. So mm -hmm. the first thing we had to do was reprocess the memory, which isn't easy. You have to go back from, you know, some of your scariest moments and you have to go through it over and over and over and over again. Um, but I think just doing that is something that I didn't do for months. So that helped reprocess it as a memory. And then I was just given tools just in case the panic arises to learn how to deal with that. 
and know that like, no, you're not going to faint this time. Like, you know how to breathe or, you know, what to think about, you know, what to do. And a lot of it was slowing down for me. I've been on the go my entire life doing double sports. And I'm sure, you know, as a skier and as an athlete, it's just go, go, go. Like when's the next event, when's the next training and, um, really slowing down. And again, with COVID allowed me the time to do that too. And to know when to rest and to know when to say no. Mm -hmm. What were those panic attacks like for you? Cause I had, um, had a prior guest on that, uh, was two-time Olympian and he had gone through some of the same, he had no idea that he would kind of suffered from what would be like a panic attack. And he ended up having to get, uh, life lighted. He was training in Switzerland, Vermont, just totally like passed out, like had no idea what was going, like just insane. And then it almost happened again when he was on the flight back to come from Europe to the U S and so I'm just kind of curious, what were those panic attacks like for you? And were you like, this is a panic attack? Or are you like, what the hell is going on right now? Well, it's, it's really interesting. I've had fainting episodes. Um, just like I stand up too, too quick and I'll faint. And it's just a type of a low pulse. What happened? It's kind of, it's called vasovagal. Mm -hmm. um, very common happened to me a handful of times in my life. And we started to dive into each of those episodes because now we're dealing with this actual um, symptom. It's very mild, but what's the difference from a vasovagal attack, like symptom or a panic attack? So we had to dive through those first. And I realized we were in Colorado Springs training at the, at the USOPC and I had a panic attack and realized it wasn't vasovagal in the pool. And then again, my body was just in fight or flight mode the entire week. So when my coach came and checked on me a few days later, at we were at breakfast, it started happening again. And I, I literally fainted in his arms and realized that that was no vasovagal, like those were panics. And I think those were the first time I've had panics over vasovagal. Mm -hmm. um, and just it basically white, you see white, uh, tough to get a deep breath, faint, sweaty, um, sweaty and chills at the same time. And, and I mean, luckily our sports psych is literally at Colorado Springs. So I didn't go to practice that day. And I just went to him and just told him everything. And he was basically like, this seems like a panic attack. And we just started dealing with it from that day on. And it was kind of interesting because a lot of people were like, well, have you talked to anybody from South Korea? I was like, no, not yet. Like I will, like, I'm not scared of therapists or that stigma or anything, but it was always like, I got other things to deal with. Like I got to play better water polo. I got to get my leg better. And it took me until I had panic attacks to realize like, oh shit, like I actually do need help. Yeah. Um, so maybe in a blessing yeah. in disguise, as scary as that time was and as stressful as that time was, it finally pushed that, gave me that extra push I needed to, to seek the help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it sounds, that's super scary and it's not really talked about that much, you know, those panic attacks and everything else, kind of how crazy of an issue. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't have to do, it's not something that's really deal have to deal with so i think it's one of those things it's super interesting because i had never really um thought much of it i've never really had any issues luckily and then when i had my buddy uh, brad on the podcast on the show he was just going through his whole thing which was just totally eye-opening and like oh my god you really need to pay attention and, yeah. and it kind of uh puts things in perspective for you but i mean it really sounds like these last couple of years have been a huge help uh for you to grow not only as an athlete but as a person and kind of figure out get all the pieces back to now you're really I mean it sounds to me like you're in the right frame of mind to go out and kick some ass like you're ready to get back to it 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm a strong believer that everything happens for a reason. And definitely like my going back to Rio's quad, I'm like, God, that was the easiest thing ever. (laughs) Like I had nothing to worry about. And then going through this, it's like, all right, I mean, for whatever reason, these things are happening to me and uh, I'm going to learn from it and try to become better from it. So I think it's just taught me that, uh, you know, as cliche as it is, sports, just sport. And there's so much bigger things to life than just sport. Um, but at the same time, we have an opportunity to play sport. And that's something a lot of people don't do. So make sure you make um, the best of the opportunities given to you. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And I know one of the things that you have, uh, one of those main uh, quotes that you have uh, for yourself is in constant pursuit of the, the next horizon. And I know you got your next uh, horizon coming up in a few months. So I uh, wish you the best of luck. And I really appreciate you, uh, you taking the time and uh, getting to chat with me. Uh, it's been awesome. And um, for, uh, we got a charity that you'd like to uh, donate um, on your behalf. So I'm just kind of curious which, uh, which charity we're going to be donating for you. Yeah. Um, first off, thanks so much for having me. It was a great chat and hopefully one day we'll meet in person, but wish you the best of luck. And yeah, I would love to help out the young and the brave charity, um, uh, children's pediatric cancer. Awesome. We'll look forward to that, uh, making that donation on your behalf. And then uh, for those people out there, where can they kind of follow along and uh, keep up with you on your uh, charge toward uh, another Olympic uh, championship win, another Olympic gold? Yeah, knock on wood. Um, you can follow <laughs> me on Instagram at kgilchrist or Twitter, kgilchrist15. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time and uh, thanks everybody. Chat again soon. All right. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. And make sure you hit that little bell button so you get notified every time a new episode drops. Thanks.